Surf, father of the internet. I think one of the predictions that you made in your January, uh, your annual remarks every year at the beginning of the year was that this is going to be the big year for self-driving cars. Uh, and, and I think you, you actually said COVID would be a driver in that, uh, in, in, in terms of making, you know, making that important because people don't want to be with drivers anymore. Um, so how, how are you seeing, are you, are you uh, staying with that prediction and you see that uh, as a big trend uh, this year? Well, it's not a rush trend by any means, but the Waymo company, which is a sister company of the Alphabet uh, holding company, uh, is in uh, operation now, a uh, commercial operation uh, with a sort of a uh, small uh, cadre of, uh, of consumers. I have taken a drive in the Waymo cars. And uh, after you um, get over your discomfort with seeing uh, no one at the wheel and the wheel is turning itself, um, it's actually pretty impressive. Uh, I've been told, though, by people who are living in, I think this is um, in a suburb uh, around Phoenix, I've been told that, uh, that a lot of people don't like the self-driving cars because they are so cautious about their driving. Uh, you know, they wait for a long time to make sure that it's safe to make a turn, a left turn, for example, into traffic. But we did that. Uh, we even came to a, a traffic signal that had a flashing yellow left arrow. And I actually didn't remember exactly what that meant. I finally concluded, okay, it's a yellow flashing left arrow, which means I'm okay to take a left turn through this intersection as long as I think it's safe. And of course, the car had to decide that it was safe, and it did, and made the turn uh, safely. So I am reasonably um, persuaded that the technology is, uh, is very close to being uh, usable, and it may very well be safer than uh, the uh, unpredictable behavior of human drivers. The challenge, I think, is that uh, the self-driving cars are embedded in a space that has potentially both self-driving cars with whom they could potentially communicate. I don't think we have fully worked out uh, inter-car communications, but it's obvious that you could do that. Uh, the, uh, so you could imagine coordinating, you know, and coming at a, a four-way intersection and having the cars decide who goes first. Unfortunately, humans are the ones that tend to say, I'm going through first regardless of who got there before me uh, and other bad behaviors. So the car has to uh, prepare for and cope with that. I suppose if we said, you know what, there are places where we won't allow human drivers anymore because we can rely on the self-driving cars to be more safe. Um, I could imagine an evolution like that, just like we have special lanes in, in uh, freeways and toll roads and bicycle lanes and things like that. So uh, although I don't see a tidal wave of this coming, I, I think that it is increasingly likely that uh, once people become comfortable with this idea and we have real statistics to show that the safety of the self-driving cars uh, is actually exceeds the safety of human beings driving, that we'll see something happen during the course of this third decade of the 21st century. But um, but I think it will take uh, take time. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's fascinating though because I think uh, 
Um, it is a trend that, it, uh, obviously, it, it seems to make a lot of sense for all of us, uh, especially in this COVID world where we'd rather not, uh, we'd rather be in a car on our, our own, uh, to be honest. And, and uh, it opens up also a lot of things like uh, remote working. You can work while you go to work, uh, et cetera. So I think it does change well, a lot. Interestingly, it would be worth taking time to pull younger people, especially the ones who haven't quite got to the age of 16 yet, which is the typical age in the U.S. to get a license. I remember anticipating that moment uh, greatly uh, and uh, couldn't wait you know, to get to the driver's uh, department, motor vehicles department to get my license. I am hearing anecdotally that people who are uh, coming up on that age are less excited about driving, either because of the self-driving cars or because of the uh, calling a driver, the Uber and Lyft and other kinds of uh, services uh, that don't require you to drive at all. And they're available more or less on a few minutes notice. Uh, so it may very well be a generational shift that occurs uh, and it's not so much the self-driving car that makes the difference, but it's the availability of cars that are driven by someone else. And so you don't have to maintain the car, get insurance for it, uh, find a place to park. All of the annoying things that have gone along with the American excitement about cars on the road uh, might disappear because of this alternative. So it might very well be that a um, the driving services may, um, I would say, uh, uh, pave the way, no, no pun intended, pave the way uh, for self-driving cars at some point. Google said it had achieved quantum supremacy. That's the moment when quantum computers can beat out the world's most powerful supercomputers for certain tasks. They have demonstrated with the quantum computer that it can perform a computation in seconds what would take the world's fastest supercomputer years, thousands of years, to do that same calculation. And in the field, this is known as quantum supremacy, and it's a really important milestone. Google used a 53-qubit processor named Sycamore to complete the computation, a completely arbitrary mathematical problem with no real-world application the Google quantum computer spit out an answer in about 200 seconds. It would have taken the world's fastest computer around 10,000 years to come up with a solution, according to Google scientists. Um, you talked about uh, the fact that uh, we would actually use quantum computing for a real application, um, you know, sort of a, you know, to solve a real problem, um, because that's been really the issue. It's, we've shown it's a great technology, but we haven't figured out the, the real life uses of it yet, right? And uh, how far along do you think we are? I mean, in terms of looking at that today, uh, you know, you, you, you predicted that would be an area uh, that we would see a lot of progress. Uh, so ironically, I was just reading uh, quite a, uh, a lengthy analysis of where we are these days. Uh, first of all, Google, as you know, has been very active in the development of quantum computing. Uh, we've uh, reached the point where we're looking at uh, 72 qubit chips, for example, uh, but the um, developer, the lead developer uh, for this uh, project, Hartmut Nevin, uh, was outlining for me the real challenges that lie ahead. Uh, we're using a cryogenic technique, which right away is, you know, requires you uh, to do some really interesting things to cool things down to just you know, hardly above uh, absolute zero, uh, you know, a few millikelvins at most. Um, 
But the thing that he pointed out that was the most difficult is that in order to have uh, quantum computing which stays coherent long enough to do an interesting computation, you actually may need a large number of physical qubits in order to have a logical qubit that will, will be uh, stable long enough to do a computation of, of interest and optimization, for example. So he was saying things like a thousand physical qubits for one logical qubit. And if you needed you know, multiple logical qubits in order to do something, you have an increasingly large number of physical qubits you have to build. And you can't put them all on one chip. So that means they have to be on multiple chips. Then you get into a little problem, which I hadn't thought of, which is that every physical qubit needs at least two wires to control it. So imagine that you, you well, let's go overboard. You have a million qubits of physical qubits, um, and, and that gives you a thousand logical qubits. You'll need two million wires somehow connecting these things. Now, the, the uh, cryogenic qubits are actually physically fairly large compared to other kinds of qubits that get down into the, you know, the nanometer size uh, features on the chip. Um, the things like spin-based uh, quantum computing could be high density and also uh, might work at room temperature as opposed to cryogenics. But in any case, it, getting two million wires uh, connected up to something is, is a challenge. I mean, the physical wiring uh, <laughs> is, is a big challenge. This is a qubit. It's the basic computational unit in quantum computing. Qubits are like bits in a classical computer, but with a crucial difference. A bit is binary. It stores information in strings of binary digits that can only be zero or one. But qubits are made of subatomic particles, so they operate according to subatomic logic. Qubits can be zero, one, or what we call a linear combination of zero and one. This fluid combination of amplitudes is at the core of quantum computing. The, we have simulations uh, at Google which are allowing people to explore using conventional computing to simulate the quantum computer algorithms that uh, might actually allow for rapid computation of a problem which in the uh, conventional world would take years to, you know, months to years to do that could be done uh, much more quickly. Imagine for a moment how we reacted to real-time spreadsheets. I remember when VisiCalc came out and I had an Apple II Plus and I could do real-time e exploration of what happens in the spreadsheet if I change certain parameters and the thing instantly calculated the results. And so I was getting this interactive experience of exploring the state space of a spreadsheet. Imagine for a moment that you have quantum computing, which will compute a significant optimization problem in real time so that you can begin to explore these complex optimizations, literally steering your way through a complex uh, space. That, for me anyway, that helps capture the potential uh, feeling anyway that I remember getting from real time spreadsheets, except in this case, it would be based on the speed of quantum computing. So I would say that this is very real, that, uh, that we are on the cusp of being able to do useful things. Um, and it's important to invest exactly in what you suggest or implied, which is 
useful algorithms that can use this particular kind of uh, computation.